about as high as I can say. this morning. Uh, our brothers asked for the reading of 2 Peter 2. Uh, I didn't really have too much time to prepare anything, so I'm just going to read the chapter. It's a, it's a pretty, pretty heavy chapter. Uh, I'll just start at the first verse. But false prophets also arose among the people, 
just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow this sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into, the, into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the un unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions. While they feast with you, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved gain for wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgressions, a speechless donkey, <coughs> spoke with the human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are the waterless springs, mists driven by a storm. For, they, the, for them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after you have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them that the dog, the dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Yeah. Um, do we have any prayer requests this time? Hi.
songs on a regular basis, and I have to admit that's a very hard chapter to follow up on to decide <laughs> what do you do in response to that. Uh, so, we're going to sing number 482. 482. If you thought it was tough to find a song after you read that, standing up here after reading it, it's kind of hard too. <clears throat> uh, good morning. So, last time we spoke, we finished up in Second Peter chapter one, and we 
talked about the inerrancy of Scripture and the accuracy and the truth of the Word. And I, I left something out, and Phil brought it to my attention afterwards, but just the importance of the sufficiency of Scripture. I didn't really go there in the last message, but the Scripture is sufficient of itself. Um, it's sufficient to explain itself. It's sufficient to provide us what we need to live godly in Christ Jesus. And that's not to say that you can't or that you shouldn't read a commentary or a, another writing that helps to understand maybe some things from the Word of God. But you don't have to. The Scripture is sufficient. And I, I heard a story this week that, that just made me think of that. It was a story of, I think it's been about 15 years ago, there were some Korean missionaries that were kidnapped in Afghanistan by the Taliban. And there were 20, 23 of them that were taken hostage and they were all together. The last time they were all together there, they, uh, they had taken everything that they had, but one of the men was able to keep a Bible on himself somehow. They had one Bible, and so they divided it into 23 pieces so that they all had a piece of the Word of God. And there was kind of a disagreement that came up because the pastor of that group said, now if anyone dies, I die first. And there was an older brother that was there and he said, no, I'm older than you and I die first. And, and they, they had a conversation there that was, you know, it's kind of something that most of us don't experience. <clears throat> but that happened. Two of them were killed. The pastor was killed and one other person. That older man actually was not. Um, and they were released sometime later. The, the 21 remaining. And after they got back home, that older man said he had a couple of them come, back, come up to him. And they said, we just wish we were back there. The way that we experienced God, the peace that we felt from Jesus, we've tried to recreate it and we just don't have it. All they had was 123rd of the Bible. But they had a heart that was seeking God 100%. And I don't think that any of us are there. We are not seeking God to the degree that we could for sure, that we should. We have so many things that we use to fulfill our needs. We have the money to, to buy things and we have the medicines to take away our pain. And we have friends to talk to and we have hobbies and we have entertainment and we don't know what it's like to really rely on God and to really have that peace that passes understanding that He can give and He will give and He wants to give if we will seek Him. Well, better move on from that. But I, I did want to speak to the importance of the sufficiency of Scripture. It is enough... And I, under, I know that some of you, especially some of you younger ones, would say that sometimes it's hard to understand what you read. And it's hard to, it, it's just hard to know what you're reading. And it's not just the younger ones. I think some of the older ones would, would express that at times. And I, I think of that, the Ethiopian eunuch, and he said, how can I understand this, what I'm reading? And, and it does, it takes... I, I believe it takes a community, it takes each of us um, sharing together that can be a very helpful 
in, in our understanding of Scripture, but it takes the Holy Spirit to speak, to open our minds and our hearts to understand the things of the Word of God. It is alive. Well, we, we, we're here in 2 Peter chapter 2, and we ended uh, hearing about the, the, how the Scripture was given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through men. It wasn't these men making up stories. It wasn't them giving their opinions or ideas or things that were coming from their heart. It was from the heart of God, given to them through the Holy Spirit and written down. And now we're going to look at here, Peter talks about men who promote things from their heart instead of God's heart. Let's just read the first three verses. There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. I can tell you, I feel about as unprepared with this message as any I've probably given. Uh, we're not going to get through this chapter. There's, there's just a, a lot here. And I couldn't get my outline really to flow just extremely well either. So I just trust that this morning, you know, I, my goal is never to have you leave this place and say, well, that was a good sermon. But I do hope that you leave and say that was true. You know, whether or not you like what is said doesn't matter, but whether or not it's true does. And so that's my desire this morning is that you would hear truth. There were false prophets, he says, and there will be false teachers. And we can read throughout the Bible, and we will some this morning, about the false prophets that were throughout the Old Testament. And there were false teachers throughout the New Testament. And I believe he's saying there will be false teachers today. We know as we look around that there are. But what's interesting here is is he says that in verse 13, they feast with you. And this speaks of a closeness, this speaks of, of the potential for these false teachers to be in our midst, not just in Texas, or in Europe, or maybe you know of one somewhere. And, and I, my goal this morning, I'm not going to stand up here and name names. That's not what, what I'm after. I, I want us to, to be alert and aware and to know how to discern truth. And error. Because I can give you a name, but the person that actually interacts in your life, there could be a false teacher that we each need to be able to discern for ourselves and not just have some names that we know of. And my goal is not to make you suspicious this morning, wondering if I'm a false teacher or or a bard or if maybe the person next to you might be someday. No. Not at all, but that we are aware, that we are alert, and that we would never have the idea or the attitude that it couldn't happen here. There have always been false prophets, there have always been fake Christians, and there's someday going to be a false Christ, we know from the Word. 2 Corinthians 11, 13-15, I'm going to read several passages this morning, and you're welcome to turn there. As I do, it says, for such men are false apostles. And I thought about this in our Sunday school this morning as they talked about um, Hophni and Phinehas being sons of Belial is the way it read. And this, these verses say, such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. 
their end will correspond with their deeds. And that's kind of what Peter says here. Their judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. It's coming. Jesus says in Matthew 24, He says in verse 11, Many false prophets shall rise and deceive many, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And what sticks out to me is this word many that's used. It's used here in Peter. He says, and many shall follow their ways. And here Jesus says, many false prophets, and, and the iniquity of many shall abound, and the love of many shall wax cold. And, and this isn't speaking to me of five or ten or maybe even a hundred. It sounds like a lot of people who are affected by these teachings. And then in verse 23 and 24 there of Matthew 24, he says, Then if any man say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they would deceive the very elect. So, Jesus said that they were going to be here, and they're going to get worse. As we go through this chapter this morning, I want to compare and contrast some that we're not near going to... There's about seven or eight uh, contrasting thoughts from chapter 1 of 2 Peter and chapter 2 of 2 Peter. And I've kind of... That's where I got my title this morning, just simply, True true or False? And, And the first chapter just speaks of of a true believer, of a truth teacher, and, and a lot of truth about God and about the life of a believer. And this second chapter speaks of false teachers and about what that looks like. And there's, there's some contrasting things. The first one is in verse 3 of chapter 1, the true teacher gives Christ all the credit. He says, we have been given everything we need for life and godliness in Him. In Christ. Everything that we need for life and godliness comes from Christ alone. It's not from any other man or any other idea or any other system or teaching. But for the false teacher, Jesus is minimized. We see here where He says they will privily or secretly introduce damnable or destructive heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. Now, it's not blatant. It's not obvious. It's maybe not easily recognized. It's a slow fade. It's a, it's a deception. And the thing about deception is, is you don't know when you're deceived. You know, if you're living in sin, you're doing something that you shouldn't be, and you feel guilty about it, and yet you know that you're in sin, right? But when you're deceived, you don't know. You believe a lie. You actually believe something that's not true, and we see it so clearly today in many other places, and from time to time maybe we see it in our own life. Maybe it seems like smaller ways, and yet to be deceived at all, is a scary thing, scary place to be, which is why we must be on our guard that we never get there. It's probably not going to happen that we just openly have someone deny Jesus here in this building anytime soon, but this moving away from the centrality of Christ is a subtle thing. He says in Chapter 1, verse 16, Peter says, We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, we weren't following some made-up story. We weren't making up our own story. But over here in in chapter 2, as he speaks about a false teacher, he says that they exploit you with feigned words, or that word could mean artificial, or maybe we could say made-up stories. The true teacher sources what he says from the Bible and the false teacher relies on his own creativity, his own message, his own ideas. It's happening today. 
I hope that we're not exposed to it to a large degree, but there are many teachers, professors, and pastors who are doing everything they can to make the way wider. To make it okay to live life the way I want to live life. To make it pleasing to the flesh. We can read about this in Jeremiah 23. Way back, that was thousands of years ago, in Jeremiah 23, verse 16. I'm going to read several verses here if you want to follow along. We have false prophets, and that's exactly what they were doing. They were making the way wider. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hope. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to those who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. Those that despise the Lord, they say, it's okay. They said, there won't be consequences for your actions when you follow your own heart. That's not true. Vody Bauckham says this, he says, it amazes me that we believe this. That God would crush and kill His own Son, but let you slide. The truth of the matter is, He wants to forgive us. He, he, wants, he, he provided that blood to cover us so that we don't have to be crushed and killed. But we must repent. We must experience that blood in our life. These prophets were justifying sin. And so today, maybe you could think, well, of someone who says, well, it's okay to live in adultery, or it's okay to live in an alternative lifestyle, and those are the big things. But what about some smaller things? What about following your heart? That's what it said here. Isn't that something that's so common? Do what makes you happy, and don't worry about others. That's what God wants. He wants you to be happy. I've read that before. And it's, it's false. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. These are not Christian teachings. Let's go on in verse 18. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord? to see and hear His Word? Or who has paid attention to His Word and listened? Behold the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest that will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until He has executed and accomplished the intents of His heart. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel... Then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Now, I, that, that he said earlier, they have not stood in my counsel, and then he said, if they would have stood in my counsel. And that stuck out to me when I read that. Because, you know, and I, that, that, that's just the most important thing to stand in the counsel of God. I, when I, every time I prepare a sermon, like, it, I can put all these thoughts together. I can study and write down all these notes. But until I stand in the counsel of God, it just doesn't come together. And that's the most important thing when I prepare a sermon is standing before God. And it's not just as simple as, as asking Him if He's okay with this and, and tell, asking Him to direct it. It's, it takes, it's standing in the counsel of God and it's, it's spending time and that is where the inspiration comes. And that is where the message comes. That is where the things come that I can't get together. And if we don't stand in the counsel of God, we're going to find ourselves 
speaking the things that these men spoke. We just will. And we all need to be standing in the counsel of God, not just the preachers. Verse 23, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long, there, how long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart? Who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal? Let the prophet who has a dream tell a dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. We don't need a dream. We need the word of God. And we need to speak it to one another faithfully and continually. We need to stand in His counsel. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophet, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and say, Thus saith the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness. When I did not send them or charge them, they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. <clears throat> that was a lot. But I think that that's what Peter was talking about when he wrote 2 Peter 2. Men like that. And I just want to read just a few more verses from Jeremiah 6, verse 13. From the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And we see that in, in some of the false teaching today. We see that it's about money. And whether it's gain for the church or whether it's promising that if you will give, that you will receive. So I've, just, I've heard some sermons before that just absolutely blew me away with the promise of financial success and peace and prosperity if you would give $1,000. And it's false. And I, and I hear that here. From the prophet to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace. When there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they weren't ashamed at all. They didn't even know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. I set a watchman over you saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not pay attention. This is a people who is selfish and covetous and they're living in sin and their leaders are telling them it's okay. Telling them not to feel guilty and their hearts we can see at the end are rebellious. They will not walk in the way of the Lord. They will not listen to the warnings they're given. <clears throat> May that never be said of us. I know it's a lot of scripture. Hang with me. Deuteronomy chapter 13. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and, and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder that he tells you comes to pass. And if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you. To know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, this was many, many years ago in Deuteronomy. God said there are going to be people who can prophesy things and they're going to come true. Who can work miracles, signs and wonders, but that doesn't mean they're from me. So, be careful with believing someone just because they're able to prophesy. 
I listened to a man who is big into prophesying and manifestations, and he said, he actually said that the 80% of them don't actually happen. And he seemed to be okay with that. To me, they seem like pretty poor odds that 20% of his predictions come true. But <clears throat> it really doesn't matter about the percentage. It, although it does speak of, to that in a place that if it, if it doesn't come true, that they're not of God. But, but more than that, he says they may come true. And that doesn't just mean that they're of God. If they are pointing you away from the heart and the character of God or from his word. Galatians 1 says, I am astonished. This is verses 6 through 9. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some of you who, tr- some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So Jeremiah here, he said, look for the old paths. Deuteronomy says, if it's not the heart or the character of God, if they're they're turning you towards something or someone else, it's not of God. And Galatians says, if it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, no matter how miraculous the signs, no matter how convincing the testimony, don't go there. Deuteronomy said, for God, He's, he's testing you to see whether you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul. Charles Spurgeon said, An unwatchful church will soon become an unholy church. The main cure of a church comes by strengthening its inner life. When we live near to Jesus, when we drink from the fountainhead of eternal truth and purity, when we become personally true and pure, then our watchfulness is, under God, our safeguard. And heresy, false doctrine, and unclean profession are kept far away. Sleeping guards invite the enemy. He who leaves his door unlocked asks the thief to enter. Watchfulness is always profitable. Slothfulness is always dangerous. I ask us this morning, are we watchful? Are we alert? Do we know the truth? Verses 5 through 8 here, it says, He spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes and condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. And deliver just law, vexed with filthy conversation of the wicked. And then we read a similar account from Jesus in Luke 17. Luke 17, 26, he speaks of this exact thing. He says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat and they drank and they married wives and they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And that day the flood came. And destroyed them all. Likewise, also as it was in the days of Cornerstone, they did eat and drink and bought and sold and planted and builded. It doesn't say Cornerstone, but it sounds a lot like Ohio. It says in the days of Lot, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, drink, bought, sold, planted, and builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff is down in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him not likewise return back. Remember Lot's wife, it says.
Verse 9 says of 2 Peter 2, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. That word could be adversity. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of adversity. That's following this, these examples of Noah and Lot. Folks, we've got to live with our bags packed. Because when God told Noah to go into that ark, I'm shutting the door, it started to rain. And Lot left that city, and it started to burn. And if when God says to go, or God says to get out, it doesn't mean to pack your bags. It's time to go. Remember Lot's wife. My wife has written on our wall at home this phrase, the more you know truth, the more you will recognize lies. The more you know truth, the more you will recognize lies. If we're going to recognize false teachers, the only way that we will successfully do that is to know the truth. Know the truth. Matthew 7 says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter it. But the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and there are few that find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, are figs from thistles, so every healthy tree bears Good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And we see that here in, in Peter. He talks about in verse 8 of chapter 1, he says, these things be in you and abound. They shall make you that you shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in contrast, we see over here in verse 17 of chapter 2, speaking of these false teachers, these are wells without water. Clouds that are carried with a tempest. And there's a slight difference between these because this in Peter speaks of barrenness rather than bad. And I don't know, I, it's interesting to think about. I didn't fully think through this, but I... I used to talk to my children a lot about their reputation. I mean, I just have in the past. And, and I would tell them, just speak specifically to, you know, if you do something bad, something dishonest, if you say something unkind, people are going to remember that about you. And that's going to be your reputation. And, and that's bad. But, but as I read this in Peter, I was like, well, it's not just about not having bad fruit. It's, it's more than that. It's about having good fruit. It's not that we just don't want to be thought of as bad, but we want to be have a good reputation. We want to bear much fruit. Um, these wells without water speak of, it's, it doesn't say bitter water, it says no water. It's barren. And this, this verse we read here in Matthew, he doesn't say that only trees with bad fruit will be cut down. He says any tree that bears not good fruit will be cut down. And so whether it's barrenness or whether it's bad fruit, it's not what we're called to. We're called to bear good fruit and to bear much fruit. And I just ask us this morning, what is the fruit that we're bearing? What is the impact that we're having on the people around us? Whether it's our peers, whether it's those younger than us, our children. What is our reputation? Is it just so-so? I mean, as long as it's not bad, that's okay. Or is it a reputation of holiness? <clears throat> there's, a, there's another thing here in verses. He, he kind of talks about this fruit. In, in chapter 1, he, you know, he goes through this these are some things that a believer will have. They will, 
have uh, faith and virtue, and to virtue, add to your virtue knowledge, and knowledge temperance, and temperance patience, and patience godliness, and godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness charity. And then you contrast that with chapter 2, verse 10 and 14. It speaks about the fruit of these false men. Them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, a heart they have exercised with covetous practices. Wow. That's, that's, a, that's a big contrast there. Not everyone, he goes on in, in chapter 7 of Matthew, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, we've used most of the time, and as I said, we kind of jumped through some of this. I have to see where the Lord leads with continuing it. I think we need to stop because if I go on, um, it might take a while on the next section. So, <clears throat> the contrast between 2 Peter chapter 1 and 2 Peter chapter 2 is, is quite distinct. And it seems pretty obvious. As we read 2, chapter, 2 Peter chapter 1, it's, it's very encouraging. It's filled with truth for a believer. But as we read 2 Peter chapter 2 this morning, just like Joe and I said, and, and Zach alluded to, that's pretty heavy stuff. And that seems... Uh, it's, it's, it just seems very obvious, and yet the truth of the matter is, these things, these teachings, come suddenly, and come slowly. And so it's important that we know truth, and that we are alert and aware, and that we care. That we are growing in Christ. That we are growing. That we are producing fruit. Not just, as James says, men driven with the wind and tossed. 2 Timothy speaks of people who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. And it says, stay away from them. It goes on to say they're ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. We live in a world with totally different dynamics than ever before. We have access to teaching from people all over the world. And we can hear their teaching without knowing them personally. And we all know that we can say one thing and live another. And I just caution us that we be careful where we get our information, who we go to for our teaching, because the podcasts and the YouTubes can be very helpful. They can be very encouraging, but it can, we don't always know. And sometimes there's, there are teachings that, that come in I could, I could give an example, but I don't, I don't think I will today, um, even in my own life, of that. that um, I listened to one for a while, uh, a podcast for a while, and, and I kind of noticed some things. Maybe I will halfway give the, the story. <laughs> but I kind of noticed some things, and, and it, really, it really fell apart. The church did, and the and the teachings just really went south fast. But years ago, it wasn't that way, and it was it was kind of a slow fade. I could see it, and I, I kind of noticed it as I listened to it. But it's easy it's easy sometimes. It's someone you think you trust, someone you think you respect, someone you think is teaching you truth, 
to go along with what they've said. And so it just comes down to being alert and being aware and knowing truth. Um, it's not about how much you know. It's not about how much Bible you know. It's not about just knowing. It's about knowing truth. That's just what it comes down to. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I thank you for the word that you have given us, and I thank you for sending your Holy Spirit that speaks into our lives and our hearts in various ways at various times. And Lord, we just ask you this morning for that Spirit's presence in our lives as we go forward this week and as we read your word, as we have our devotions, and as we seek you with our heart, Lord, that we would be seeking more than knowledge and information, but that we would be seeking to know truth to know your heart, and Lord, that your Spirit would, would just open our hearts and our minds sometimes even when we think we can't understand. Lord, that we would this week stand in your counsel and share your truth with those that we live with and are around. Lord, I just pray you would bless this day, that we would honor you with all that we say and do. I pray just for this congregation, Lord, that you would cause us to be watchful, that we would walk in your paths and that we would listen to your warnings, that we would not have a heart that doesn't care or a heart of rebellion. Lord, that we would turn from our sinful ways Lord, we confess that we need You. We need the blood of Jesus to cover our sins and Lord, the power of Your Holy Spirit to walk in newness of life. And Lord, I just pray that this week we would be Your people, Your teachers. We're all teachers for You, Lord, whether it's our, our co-workers or our children or whoever it is in our lives, Lord, that we would be teachers of truth. Lord, we thank you for each person here. And just pray for those who can't be, who are feeling sick, and those who are, are elderly among us, Lord, that you would be near to them this day. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.